And I'm Ray, and you are listening to The Reports of Gore. The Reports of Gore. Gore Report. Welcome <laughs> to Gore Report. <laughs> precisely, precisely. <laughs> I gave up on the spooks. <laughs> <laughs> you still did good. You still did good. Yeah, it was there. So, hi everyone. If you're new here, then welcome. Welcome. Welcome to our little nightmarish shit show that we have going on. <laughs> It's nice Come to join have you. <laughs> it is nice to have you. So that was a very nice, big, robust welcome from us to you. We Absolutely, hope that you enjoyed it. We do try our best to not make it awkward, but more times than not, it gets awkward, it and gets we're sorry awkward. for that. <laughs> but as always, we hope you're having a good day and a good week and, and a, a good, good life. life. We always hope you're having a good life. <laughs> there. Isn't a whole lot to unpack at the beginning of this episode, but there is one really cool thing that did happen, and we thought it was huge, and we did want to share it. If you follow our Facebook page, then you've probably already seen this, but a few weeks ago, I covered the case of Skylar Niece. Yes. It's an extremely sad case. She was a West Virginia teenager who was brutally murdered. Um, it's not a nice one. If you want to listen to our episode, it's episode 13. But Skylar Niece's father, Dave, actually reached out to us yesterday. Yes. And he told us he was very pleased with how we covered his daughter's story. And like, man, there are no words for that. That's what makes this show special for me. It's same because, you know, these are real stories. They happen to real people. It affects real people. And when you hear... From one of the people, you know, involved and or connected to, to something that you've told, and they have a pleasant reaction from it, then that's very, it's validating, and that's what it's about, you yeah. know. It's not about exploiting people's trauma or any of that sort. It's more about conveying these stories accurately and with the utmost respect and tenderness that you can give them, because that's yeah. what they deserve. And, you know, bringing awareness, not only to these crimes, but to the people that they unfortunately happen to. So that was something really cool and very humbling. Right. So, you know, Dave, if you're listening to this, thank you thank so you. much. Our hearts are forever with you and Mary. Absolutely. And we do appreciate your act of reaching out to us and letting us know that you were satisfied because ultimately your opinion is the only one that matters, I think, Yeah. when it comes to it. so Yeah, really. That was pretty cool. And we wanted to share that with that you was, guys. That was very well said from... From me to you, that was very well said. I enjoyed that very much. Oh, well, thank you. You know, I try. I try. <laughs> so before we dive into my case this week, I do have a little bit of a pre-note that I want to give you guys. Okay. So I'm going to be telling you guys about Keith Rondulich. And let me just go ahead and say this one is definitely more than a little disturbing. Okay. Personally, this case is one that just made me cry and like... Bitch, I don't mean tearing up. I mean crying. No, crying. Like, 
I learned about this case maybe four months ago, and I immediately knew that it was one I was going to have to cover at some point. The main reason I hadn't covered it sooner, in all honesty, is the lack of background information on Keith's early life. There just isn't a whole lot of background info on Keith in terms of his childhood and how he grew up. There's really none of that. So all the information I have is primarily surrounding the crime itself that took place Mm -hmm. and, of course, the strangeness in Keith's reasoning for the crime and his demeanor after the fact of him doing what he did. Right. So I just had to give that little note beforehand that this case is really not going to be as much of a deep dive as I usually do. But like, I just couldn't help it. I have to tell you guys about it anyways. Like I just have to. Right. I also want to give a trigger warning for this one because today's case is a truly horrific murder case, and the victim in this particular case was a small child. She was only four years old. Okay. So if that's too much for you, then by all means, we understand. Please don't listen to this one. As for the rest of you, however, wanting to trek some horribly dark paths with us, then (laughs) sit the fuck down and buckle the fuck in. So Keith Rondelich was born on April 16th, 1991, and he grew up in Mokina, Illinois, with his two younger brothers. From what little I could read, because again, there's really not a whole lot of information on his background, Keith and his siblings grew up in a reportedly very loving and supportive household. Okay. So in May of 2009, Keith was 18 years old, and he was living in Mokina with his mother. She was named Anne, his stepfather, his two younger brothers, who were 14 and 16, and his four-year-old stepsister, Sabrina Clement. All right. Keith was also a senior and honor student at Lincoln Way East High School at this time, and he was actually extremely academically gifted, like, you know, hence me saying he's an honor student, but Keith made extremely high grades while he was in school. There's definitely no denying that he's incredibly intelligent. He even won several awards for his perfect attendance throughout school. So, yeah, this kid was going to school every day, on time, and present. Wow. Keith was also pretty well-behaved through school. He definitely wasn't the kind of kid that got in trouble a lot. He never caused disruptions. He never really had outbursts. None of his teachers had anything negative to say about Keith. And he had a few friends here and there, too. But ultimately, he was very introverted, and he would kind of... He would just stay to himself. Okay. He kind of had this reclusive loner quality to his personality, but it wasn't to a point to where anyone was concerned, if that makes sense. Like yeah, nobody it does. nobody really saw anything dangerous or like super strange out of right. Keith. Right. Okay. He just seemed to be someone who liked to be isolated a little more than his peers did, and I mean, same. So, right, right, same. <laughs> nothing really unusual there. There same was definitely disease. no noticed red flags present at all with Keith leading up to the absolutely horrific murder that he committed. Mm-hmm. And Keith would commit this unimaginable murder just one week before he was supposed to graduate high school. Oh, no. Yeah. So, as I've stated for the third time now, there really isn't a lot of information that I could find on Keith that gave a really detailed story of how he grew up. I mean, I read that he had a loving family and a pretty average household. You can find record of his academic achievements and some counts of his classmates telling of Keith's personality and what it was like to go to school with him and stuff like that. But outside of that, that's pretty much it. 
most of what I have, again, is surrounding the crime itself and a lot of the bizarre shit with Keith that happened after the fact of his crime when he was interrogated by authorities. Gotcha. So there's not really a segue here for me to kind of <laughs> ease you guys into it. So that being said, we can just start unraveling the story of what exactly Keith did. So, so there's no more beating around the bush. It's time to get to the nitty gritty. No, nah, we're just about to sink into a pit of shit. Oh, God. Absolutely. It's one of those. It's definitely one of those. Okay. So I take us to May 22nd, 2009. That day, Keith got out of school around 2.45 p.m. He went home and he actually brought up to his mom that he really wanted to buy a firearm. Okay, so you could either be sort of weirded out by that or it's completely normal because I know in... In some country-like households, an 18 wanting a firearm is not, not really that a big, big of deal. A, yeah, it's not really that big of a deal. But an 18-year-old, like, just for every day, you know, you're in the city. Yeah. You're not hunting. <laughs> I would be like, okay, why? Yeah, well, his mom, she was not for the idea at all. She actually told Keith, ah, no. Uh, he could, in fact, not have a gun. And this kind of sparked an argument between Keith and his mom. And Keith kind of did the teenage thing. You know, he was threatening his mom that he would move out and stay at a friend's house if she didn't let him buy a gun. And as you can imagine, the whole situation just didn't go over well. They kind of fought for a little bit. Keith got really pissed at his mom and he ended up storming off to his room. And that's just kind of how it went. So I think this is a situation in where him having a gun wasn't okay because his mom was like, fuck that. But later that same day, Keith's parents, as well as Keith's 14-year-old brother, they had plans to attend a school function. Okay. I believe it was actually a school dance or something like that. I'm not sure, but either way, it was a school-related function that was being held at the school where Keith's 14-year-old brother went. Mm -hmm. So his parents were going to go with him. Okay. Now, this would leave Keith, his 16-year-old brother... And his four-year-old stepsister, Sabrina, alone at the house that evening. Oh. So, initially, Keith's brother was the one that was in charge of Sabrina. I'm thinking maybe because of the whole, you know, that spat that Keith had with his mom over the firearm earlier that day. Maybe she just decided to leave his brother in charge of her. I don't really know. But Keith wasn't initially in charge of Sabrina. His brother was. Okay. So Keith's brother, he was watching Sabrina. They were in the living room. They were watching TV. And Keith was in the kitchen doing some dishes. And whilst doing said dishes, he takes an extremely sharp five-inch steak knife. And he tucks it away in the front pocket of the hoodie he was wearing. And okay. we, we kind of see here in this moment that clearly something is on his mind. And let me tell you, I'm going to put emphasis on it. It's fucking unimaginable. Like, it is unimaginable. Oh, my God. I'm not ready. He only spent a few minutes doing dishes before he put this knife in his hoodie pocket. And then he went into the living room and told his younger brother, Hey, you know, if you want to go upstairs and play some video games or whatever, I'll watch Sabrina for you. Okay. So, Keith's brother, he was like, Ah, fuck, really, dude? Like... All right, yeah, okay. So, you know, he goes upstairs to his room and he goes to play video games. He leaves Sabrina with Keith. Okay. And a little note that I'm going to make here is the point of, you know, this is a trusted situation for Keith's brother. Like, he in no way had any idea of what Keith was planning to do to Sabrina. No one had any idea of what was going to happen. 
I just believe in this scenario that people can't really look at Keith's brother and be like, you know, well, why did you leave Sabrina with him? How did you not know your brother was dangerous and all that other shit? Because Keith showed no red flags. There was like nothing in Keith's brother's mind. This was just his older brother being like, hey, let me do your insert responsibility here while you go goof off right. in game and of course he's not going to need much incentive to agree to that i'm not you know? feeling okay right now by the <laughs> way guys i'm not that's why i'm just sitting here quiet i'm not okay right now but i just want to throw that out there that no one in their wildest most vivid nightmares could ever have imagined what was going to happen and i just don't want any you know victim blaming here like this was keith's fault and keith's fault alone it's just a note I wanted to make. Oh, so, Lord. Keith's younger brother, as I said, he has now left Keith to look over Sabrina while he goes upstairs to play video games. After his brother gets upstairs and shuts his door, Keith then takes Sabrina down to the basement, which was also Keith's bedroom, and they started watching SpongeBob. Okay. A few minutes into the show, Sabrina tells Keith that she's bored and she asks him to play with her. More specifically, she asks Keith if he would paint with her, like watercolor paint yeah. or something like that. So Keith tells Sabrina, yeah, we can paint, you know, I'll paint with you, but first you need to lie on the floor for me. Well, yeah, so Sabrina, being a four-year-old child... Just spending time with her big brother, she trusts him wholeheartedly. Obviously, why wouldn't she? So Sabrina lays on the floor, and she's thinking that her and her big brother are about to play a game, and then they're going to get to do some painting. Oh, my God. Keith then kneels down on the ground in front of Sabrina, and he tells her that he loves her. Sabrina is looking directly at him, smiling, when Keith pulls out this five-inch steak knife from his hoodie pocket. He then makes a small cut on the side of Sabrina's neck. Sabrina then screams out in pain. She's crying, she's throwing a fit, and she's screaming at Keith to stop. Keith then holds Sabrina down and started violently stabbing at Sabrina's neck. Over oh and over and over again as she screamed and cried. Sabrina, even at one point during the attack, screamed at Keith, quote, Why? Why are you killing me? End quote. Oh, my God. And that that shit gets me. Like, this four-year-old child was very quickly realizing what her brother was doing to her, and she asked him why. Why was he killing her? That was some of her last words. Oh, my God. And my heart cannot fucking comprehend that. Like, I truly can't. This poor little girl died in such a fucking horrific way at the hands of someone she loved and trusted entirely with her whole being. So Keith kept stabbing Sabrina's neck until she stopped screaming and crying. He reached a point where he noticed that Sabrina's eyes were wide open and she wasn't screaming or crying, and she was breathing very short, very shallow breaths. And this is where Keith stopped stabbing Sabrina He then places the steak knife on the ground in between her feet, and then he goes upstairs out of the basement to call for an ambulance. And when he calls 911, Keith only said three words to the dispatcher before hanging up. He said, come here quick. After hanging up, Keith goes back down to the basement to check on Sabrina, and he notices that she had clearly died. Keith then goes over to Sabrina's body and kisses her on the forehead and tells her that he's so sorry that he had to do this to her, and he says that he loves her. Oh, my God. He then goes back upstairs, notices that there were no police sirens or anything of the such, and he calls 911 a second time. 
And he what? tells this. Yes, he tells dispatchers this same exact thing. Come over quick. And then he hangs up. And it was only a minute or two after that that he calls a third time. And he says, you really need to get here quick because I just stabbed my sister to death. When I tell you the amount of I don't have words for this, I feel within my body right now. Yeah, no, I mean, I get it. I just cannot find any words in reaction really to what happened to her because it is I literally sat here before we started recording after our interlude I literally sat here for like 30 45 minutes unable to put any thought together because I was trying so hard not to cry yeah it's it's bad it's absolutely unimaginable I had an exceedingly hard time researching this case as you can imagine yeah And the only thing that's more unimaginable than what Keith did was the reason that he gave for doing what he did. But, you know, trust me, we're going to get to it. We still got some off the track. Okay. But when the police finally did arrive at the 1900 block of York Drive, Keith was waiting for them at the front door. And he was covered in blood. I mean, blood was all over his pants, all over his hoodie all over his hands and his face, even his feet. He literally was covered in blood. And the police immediately shouted at him to get down on the ground. And now as this unfolds, Keith's younger brother was upstairs in his room just playing video games. Oh, my God. He had no idea what had just happened in his own home. He notices red and blue flashing lights in front of his house. And he's like, oh, shit, what, you know, what's going on, you know? So he goes downstairs to see police officers all in his living room. And his older brother is on the ground covered in blood. Like, could you imagine that? Oh, I'd be freaking the fuck out, man. So the police then tell Keith's brother to also get on the ground. Like, they're screaming at him, you know, for all they know, he could be responsible, even though he wasn't. Right. So Keith's brother, he's getting on the ground, and he hears Keith say to one of the officers, quote, It's my sister that's died, and she's in the basement. Oh, my God. And in that moment, it all starts clicking in his brain, and he starts screaming at Keith from across the room, like, what did you do to her? What did you do to my sister? Like, he goes fucking hysterical, and it is sad. It's a very, very sad image to think about here. So the police took immediate note of the fact that there wasn't just blood all over Keith, But it was actually pretty much everywhere. There was a literal trail of blood going from the front door across the living room. There was blood all over the phone that Keith had used to call 911. There was even blood trailing downstairs leading into the basement. Oh, my God. So as police go down the stairs, they discover a truly horrific scene. Four-year-old Sabrina Clement was laying on her back in a large pool of her own blood. She was dressed in pink and blue pajamas with her top being pulled up almost to her neck and her eyes were wide open and her neck was in pieces and a bloody knife was laying between her feet on the ground. Oh my God. Sabrina would be pronounced dead on scene. And I couldn't imagine, you know, when this happened, when Keith did this to Sabrina, their parents and one of Keith's brothers, they were at a fucking school dance. Yeah. Trying to fathom what it was like for them to get that call and come home to find that their oldest child had brutally murdered their youngest child. 
that sinks my heart into the biggest pit of sadness that like I can't even describe. And let me also say this. My stomach is gone. It shut out my booty hole. All of these events happened within an hour of Keith's parents leaving the house to go to the school dance. Oh my God. And all this because over a handgun. Well, that's what we think. That's not the actual reason that Keith gave, but we're about to get into that. And after the investigation sometime, we also come to learn that uh, Sabrina, after her body was examined, that her cause of death was multiple massive sharp force injuries to the neck. This poor four-year-old had been viciously stabbed and slashed in her neck approximately 20 times. The stab wounds were so bad that the attack almost left her decapitated. Oh, my God. Upon further investigation of the home, police searched Keith's bedroom. And this is where they find collections of horror movies, metal albums, all that other trope shit that we talk about. But, you know, nonetheless, they found all this in Keith's room. They also found some strange writings that eventually didn't get tied back to Keith like he hadn't written them. But they were primarily like edgy song lyrics and, you know, stuff of that nature. And let me say, no, and no way is it a red flag for someone to like metal or scary stories. I mean, if you knew us. If you knew us. I mean, look at us. <laughs> I love metal and horror quite a lot, and I in no way have ever stabbed someone to death. And if I did, I wouldn't admit it on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean... I do understand, though, that these discoveries can definitely be a bit macabre when paralleled with the fact that, I don't know, they just found the dead body of a four-year-old girl in the basement. So, I mean, you get what I'm saying? So, that's some of the stuff they found in Keith's room. You literally said, nope, not on this podcast. (laughs) I mean, right, I wouldn't. (laughs) So, after searching the house, Keith and his brother were both taken into custody for questioning. Okay. Keith's younger brother was actually cleared of any involvement at all pretty quickly, and he was let go. And this is where Keith's bizarre justification for his crime and his whole demeanor with it that I mentioned earlier comes into the story. Oh, Lord. All right, buckle in. So with Keith, there is not one moment in this story where he tried to avoid taking accountability for his crime. Like, not one. From the very beginning, he is 100% overly cooperative and as forthcoming as one can be. It's honestly just some chilling shit, just like how matter of fact he is about all of it. His thing from the very beginning was, it was me, I did this, I had to kill my sister. Oh my god. He never tried blaming it on anyone else. He very quickly told police that his brother had nothing to do with it, which is why he got let go so quickly. Like, he even went on to talk about how much he loved Sabrina and how she was his best friend. And none of that wavered, not one bit, through his interrogation. That's some stone cold shit right there. Before we go any further... The look of disgust on my face right now. Oh, yeah, and it's it's only going to intensify. It's only going to intensify. Prepare for your stank face, people. (laughs) I just kind of want to take another minute to offer up another trigger warning for you guys. At some points in this section of the episode, because we are closing to the end, I do have some audio from Keith's interrogation for you guys to listen to. The clips are extremely disturbing. You know... I'm pretty sure you've gathered that by now, but they're they're out there. Uh, he describes how he kills Sabrina, which is particularly the part that I'm warning you guys about. I will announce the clips before I play them for this episode for that very reason, just because I don't want to throw anybody in blind. You know, if you don't want to hear it, then I completely get that. This is a little bit beyond. So yeah. that's just a note. 
I'm trying my very best to treat this case with a large amount of care and tenderness, and I just think that's part of it, too, you know. But nonetheless, Keith is being questioned by two investigators, and one of the first things to note with Keith is that he starts talking about certain things pertaining to himself in the past tense. Like, when investigators start interviewing him, they're trying to build that rapport, they ask him about school. And remember... Keith was an honor student and senior at Lincoln Way East, and he had brutally murdered Sabrina one week before he was going to graduate. So Keith starts, you know, I don't know how to describe it. He starts saying things like, I had it good. I was going to graduate. I had a future. Like, things like that. He's acknowledging from the start that there's going to be some intense consequences for his actions, and he's not trying to avoid it at all. And it's chilling as fuck to hear him talk like that. Yeah. And then the big kicker of this case is that Keith is adamant that he killed Sabrina because she was being abused by another family member and that he had to protect her from that abuse. Yeah. I'm so serious. So who was abusing her then? Well, we don't know. That's the thing. And I actually have a quick audio clip here for you guys to listen to that kind of goes over everything that I just said in the beginning of his investigation. Okay. I'm going to play that for you now. What are you, a senior? Yeah. Getting ready to graduate? Was. Like, when, when, when does school end? Uh, the last day is like June 1st. June 1st? Okay. How are you doing in school? I was going to graduate. I mean, I had all A's, one C in English, but... Yeah, it's cool. I, I, was, I was fine, you know. I never wanted to hurt my sister. I just wanted to protect her from... That's it. But, I mean, if you want to hear uh, how she died, I don't know. Okay. Was she laying on the ground? Yes, and... Uh, so you told her to lay down? Right, and she was fully conscious, and she was talking to me during it. I am struggling to understand right now at this point because you murdered that baby. Yeah, absolutely. And you take accountability for it, but oh, that baby trusted you. You murdered that baby. Yeah, and for the reason of protecting her. But protecting her from what, though? Like, he didn't say. He didn't say at all. Well, that's the thing. He stays adamant about this abusive family member throughout this interrogation. He even claims that over a period of two years that he had confronted his parents about the abuse that Sabrina was enduring and that they would just tell him that, you know, he needed to be quiet about it and not snitch, essentially. What? And there was never any evidence gathered anywhere that showed in any way that Sabrina was being abused. There was nothing. But Keith is so adamant in his reasoning that this is the fact why he did what he did, because he had to protect Sabrina from being abused. His whole image that he paints is one where he had absolutely no choice but to do what he did. And it chills me to my fucking bone. Yeah, that's that's wow. And also, I stopped that last clip where I stopped it on purpose, Mm. because as you just heard in it, Keith kind of started going into telling the investigators what he did to Sabrina exactly. So for obvious reasons, I cut it there because I'm going to give this warning again. If you don't want to hear Keith explain in his own words how he killed Sabrina, then do not listen. Just skip ahead if you need to. This next clip is incredibly disturbing. And I'm going to play it for you guys now. Okay. And then you said you, you had her lay down on the ground? Yeah, I told her to do that. Okay. 
And this was in my room. Your room, which is the basement. The basement, okay. Did you tell her that you were going to do this? No. I just said I love her. And then I took out the knife and she, she smiled. And I made just a little cut of her neck. And I, I went through back because I was afraid. And she screamed and grabbed her neck. And uh, she said, no, stop. But I, I just kept, I started doing it again. And then she started talking to me. And, and she was still conscious and said, why are you killing me? So then I started on the right side. She she didn't talk anymore, but she was still breathing and had her eyes open. So I, I just ran upstairs and called the police. Then when I came back down, it looked like she died. I'm not okay. Yeah, I'm not really okay either. I'm not okay. I don't think any of us that heard that are okay. <sighs> this one is excruciatingly heavy. Yeah. And I want to add that when Keith's parents were interviewed, Keith's stepfather said that he in no way saw any signs that something like this would happen. Mm -hmm. He said in the weeks leading up to the murder that he definitely noticed that Keith was acting a little strange but not on a level to where it was concerning. Right. He felt as if Keith had happy relationships with everyone in the house. And now this part, Keith's mom would state something a little bit different than that. She would say that Keith didn't really get along with much of anyone in the house except Sabrina. She stated that Keith particularly got along well with and showed lots of love for Sabrina. And isn't that just crazy? Yeah. Keith's mom is validating what he said during his interrogation, which is that he loved Sabrina and that he got along with, you know, Sabrina and connected with Sabrina more than anyone else. Keith stated several times that Sabrina was his best friend. So it's like, why in the fuck did he do this? Right. And he has no no sort of mental illness whatsoever. Not that we know of. I mean, personally, I think he's fucking sick in some way. Like, you have to be to do something like this. But yeah. he doesn't have any known, you know, mental health history that would indicate something like this. Some speculate that maybe Keith's mom, you know, her refusal to let him buy a firearm had something to do with it. A lot of people think Keith was so pissed about that, that this was his way of getting revenge. But... Keith himself said to investigators that when he asked his mom for this firearm, that his intention was to murder Sabrina's abuser with it and not Sabrina. Mm. So Keith said that this family member that was allegedly abusing Sabrina, Keith said that he was much stronger and bigger than he was and that he needed a gun to kill him, thus stopping Sabrina's abuse. So when his mom wouldn't let him have this gun, in his mind, Keith thought, well, okay, cool, I have no other option now. I can't kill Sabrina's abuser, so I have to kill her to stop it. What the fuck? And he's adamant about it, like, in a chilling way, adamant about just how matter-of-fact he is. Like, that's how he's painting his logic to, you know, to get through this, and he doesn't want to waver from it, and he doesn't even try to waver from and it. And I gather that they didn't investigate. As in... Like, they didn't investigate the family? They definitely did. Okay. And it's like I said, you know, a few minutes ago, there was no evidence that ever came up to support that Sabrina was being abused in any way. Wow. Like, Keith was evidently the only one that thought this. 
And it also shows, too, that he was clearly thinking of murder, like whether it be Sabrina or her alleged abuser, he was always going to do it. Like he made that very clear when you combine that with the fact that he never once tried to dodge accountability for what he did. He never once tried to blame someone else. He was always as open and forthcoming as you can be. You just combine all of this and it's just like one big heaping pile of what the fuck and like what made him do this? Like, what do you even make of it? Yeah. He showed no real remorse for what he did either. Because again, in his mind, he's this knight in shining armor that saved his sister and he was willing to pay the price for his actions in order to serve the justice he felt was deserved. It's like he has a God complex almost. The detachment from reality here is so far out there and i personally think keith demonstrates a lot of psychopathic behavior as well and a lot of narcissistic behavior if i'm being honest yeah i mean we can only speculate as to why he did this but like isn't this the whole scenario just morbidly intriguing before i get into my thoughts i want you to look i have an actual tear oh i know (laughs) (laughs) i've been putting you through it i'm sorry (laughs) like just actual tears strolling down my face right now I think that someone who is that adamant about abuse, usually they're right. Yeah, and that's a that's a side of this and, to take into account, too. And that makes me wonder, because it doesn't matter if the police investigate it or not. People who do that type of shit are really good at covering it up. And that is true. You know, that is true. They are very good at being manipulative and making sure that you don't see what they don't want you to see you know there are people out there that will do that and that makes me question the whole gun thing even more because you're 18 years old you feel you're an adult you feel you have a responsibility especially to your younger siblings Mm -hmm. and if this is truly going on, he felt that protective need. Uh, now I'm not, I'm not undemonizing him. I want you to understand. I've been sitting here with tears strolling down my face for that baby girl. Um, but the thing is, is why are you a hundred percent adamant about an abuse that's going on, and you feel like your voice is taken from you? you so, so on that same note, yeah. you make the decision to. Take hers away. Yeah. Because ultimately, let's say that the abuse was real. What kind of logic is there for him to decide that the way to save her is to brutally murder her? Right. That is the point of this to where, I mean, it's like I said, we can only speculate. Right. The whole situation is just fucking insane. Right. Whether it was real or not, I cannot wrap my mind around how he thought that killing his four-year-old sister so brutally, so viciously was the way to save her. I just, I can't comprehend that. And I know all of you listening, you're probably on the same page that we are. Um, In December of 2010, Keith would enter a blind plea of guilty to the charge of first-degree murder. A blind plea being when you choose to enter a guilty plea without accepting a possible plea deal or other recommendation from the state. So, yeah, Keith just immediately pled guilty to this, and in April of 2011, 19-year-old Keith Rondulich was sentenced to 40 years in prison without the possibility of parole for the death of his four-year-old sister, Sabrina Clement. He's currently 31 years old, and he's still serving his 40-year sentence. 
It is projected that Keith will be up for parole in 2051 when he is 59 years old. And that concludes the case of Keith Rondelich. I seriously still feel like I'm I'm recovering from a car wreck. That's what it feels like. It yeah. feels like you just bow, you just get hit with this, and he, I I have just yeah. I had, to take, <laughs> I had to take a minute in between breaks to get my mind right, but guys, oh my god. Yeah, it's this is definitely one of the worst that I've covered for sure. I mean, it's bad. That episode drained drained me of like all of my sad emotions. It was just all coming out at once. It was sucking up the sad. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. It was sucking up the sad. <laughs> I was sad because of it, and it just. And now that it's over, I'm I'm, whew, I'm recovering. Well, before I close out this episode, I would like. To give a small respect, you know, for Sabrina Clement. Yes. She was just four years old. She loved her life. She loved her family. She loved her parents and her brothers. And she had a whole life ahead of her that was so horribly and violently taken from her. Just ripped away. Our hearts are with the Rondulich and the Clement family. I don't know how any recovery can be made, but we wish you the best. I'm so sorry to hear about this. It absolutely bends my brain and breaks my heart. And uh, we hope to you listening that you enjoyed slash not really enjoyed our episode (laughs) this week. We loved being here as always. And if you would like to follow me and Ray and all of our weird. You can follow us on Facebook at. Gore Report, a true crime podcast. On Instagram. At Gore Report Podcast. On Twitter. At Gore Report. And uh, yeah, you guys. guys. We love you. And we're going to go do anything we can to get this horrendous shit off of our minds. So until next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.